the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Spirit of God, for your help today. The entrance of your word brings light and understanding. Thank you, Lord, that every darkness in our lives is shattered by the light of your word. In the name of our Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, for grace to communicate your word with simplicity and with understanding. Thank you, Lord, that grace is upon my hearers to receive the word with meekness in a life-transforming way. Thank you, Spirit of God, that no life remains the same. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Come with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, it's important that we understand that the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. Uh, so when you understand and appreciate it that way, you are better able to understand God's word. And that's the only key. In fact, that's the principal key that guarantees success in the affairs of life. The Bible said, this book of the law shall not depart from where? Your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you make your way prosperous, and then you have good success. So if you want to experience good and godly success, the master key is God's word. Are you here with me? You have to know the word of God. The Bible said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And most of the time, a lot of people know how to study the Bible using devotionals. But devotionals limit your ability to understand the word of God. It's good to start with. But you have to mature believers are able to pick the Bible and study it. So in teaching it, I'm also showing you how to study the Bible so you can get the most out of it. Is that okay? Okay, so we are going to be going through the book of Philippians, the letter to the church of Philippi. And I will be doing a number of series the first one i'm beginning is called the uncommon church somebody say the uncommon church say the uncommon church the uncommon church i like to call the church an uncommon church because it was an uncommon church amen yeah many were the churches paul planted but uh, the church of philippi was one unique church that was so dear to apostle paul you can read the letter of to Philippi and not see that it was different from all of Paul's letters. In that letter, Paul opens up. He speaks to them on a very personal level. That is, it's more like a very personal letter to the church. The word my is repeated severally in the letter. My, my God, my this, I'm confident of this. All kinds of things are there. You have to read it. As I've started teaching it, go and read it. Amen. Yeah, every Sunday, every week, you can read it. It's four letters, four chapters only, but they are loaded uh, uh, in, in content. Okay, so we will start today by introducing the letter. Today and next week, we are, we are introducing it. So come with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. Philippians, we are not getting into the book. I just want you to see why it is an uncommon letter. And then we will come to the genesis of it. This letter, somebody say this letter, is from who? Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. Two. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you what? Grace and, peace. Grace and what? Peace. Uh -huh. Every time I think of you, look at this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Do you have somebody like that? 
Do you have a person in your life that every time you think about him, you give thanks to God? Yeah. It, it will be beautiful to have a church where every time I think, can you imagine, every time I think about you, I'm excited about God. Why? Because I'm confident that nobody can deceive you. I'm confident that you know your way with God. I'm confident that you are rooted and grounded and you are working for the Lord. Paul was excited. He said, every time I think of you, every time, that, that is loaded. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. That's an uncommon place. And on common, every time I think of you, I am grateful. Every time, every time, every time. What was it about this church that made uh, Paul so grateful and thankful every time a thought about the church came into his mind? Now he says, verse 4, he says, when I pray, so in his thoughts, he is grateful to God for them. In his prayers, let's see, I make requests for all of you with joy. Paul was not praying, Lord, change this church for me. These people are giving me headache. Deal with them. Lord, eliminate them. Lord, deal with them. Change their heart. No, he said, every time I pray, when I lift up my hands like this and I'm praying for you, I am thankful. I am joyful. This is a joyful letter. In fact, theologians call it the joyful letter because the word joy is repeated through and through the letter. In almost every chapter of this book, there is something said about joy. But Paul said, when I pray, I make requests of you with joy. I make requests for all of you with joy. Now look at verse 5. He says, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you heard it until now. Do you see what he's talking about now? Now he's just giving us a certain clue about why he's particular about the church. He says, there are many places I went planting churches. There are many places I went doing the work of God. But all of them, they just come and receive and go. But since you came, you have been partners. You have been partners with me from the very first day until now. Listen, if there is a kind of Christian I want you to be like, it is to be like the Philippian Christians. If there is a kind of church I long ask for us, ELC, to come under and to be like, it is to be like this church. Not just come and take and go, but come and be partners. He said you've been partners since the day you heard it. From day one. Since the day the church was planted. And you will see how the church was planted. When the church came into existence, there is a certain spirit that it came with. And that spirit was sustained all through the life of a church. Paul said every time, every time. You've been partners since you heard it. From the day you heard it until now. And he said in verse 6, And I am certain, look at this, I am certain that God, who began this great work in you, will continue his work until finally it is finished on the day when Christ returns. Somebody say an amen. amen. So he says in verse 7, So it is right, look at this, It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. That's for You have a special place in my heart. May you be a Christian who have a special place in the heart of your pastor. Amen. There are some people in the church, they have special places in the heart of the pastor because they are committed to Christ and the cause of Christ. It's not everybody in church that brings joy to the heart of a pastor. But the Philippians were different. They had a special place in the heart of Paul. You have a special place in my heart. You share with me a special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. Now look at verse 8. He says, ah, yeah, yeah. God knows how much I love you. Can you see that? Can you see that the church was special to him? He said, God knows. I, I don't know how to express it to you anymore, but I want you to know that what I'm telling you, I mean no, I, I mean every bit of it. God in the in my in, in knows very much how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Jesus Christ. Now let's do the TPT of the same version and you appreciate it. Yes, my prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give thanks for you with great joy. I am so grateful for our union. Verse 4. And our enduring partnership that began the first time I presented to you the gospel. So when you read this letter, you see that when the gospel comes to you, it puts a responsibility on you. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. When the gospel comes to you, when you receive it, it puts a responsibility on you. 
And I pray that the church in Africa will rise up to our responsibility. I pray that ELC as a local church will rise up to our responsibility. When you hear the gospel, it puts a responsibility on you. He says, I, I, I pray with great faith for you because I am fully convinced that the one who had begun this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. It's no wonder I pray with such confidence since you have a permanent place in my heart. Okay? You have remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God even though I'm here in chains for standing up for the truth of the gospel. Verse 8. Oh! Only God knows how much I dearly love you with tender affection of Jesus, the anointed one. That's an uncommon church. Somebody say, that's an uncommon church. Yeah. Now, if the same can also be said of you, then you are an uncommon Christian. What was said about Paul, it wasn't, that, it wasn't the meeting place that this was written about. It was the people. So, when Paul was saying all of these things, he was not talking about the building as in the physical structure. He was talking about the kind of people in the church. The kind of people were not a give me, give me Christians. They were, what can we do? How can we help? How can we partner with you in getting the job done? That was the mentality they had. And that is the only church where Paul could confidently say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. It was only in the church of Philippi. Only that group of people. He told them, he said, I know that what you have given me, I have received it. You have helped me in this cause. And because you have partnered with me, my God is committed to supplying all your needs according to his riches in glory. This church was uncommon and we see it in the affection and the joy with which he writes. The purpose he writes the letter is also another reason why I believe that this church is uncommon because Paul wrote letters to different churches for various reasons. When he wrote the letter to the church of Galatia, he was actually angry because uh, what the message of grace he brought to them, not long after he departed, they had fallen uh, Found to they had fallen to other people who had come in preaching something else other than what Paul preached. So he got angry with them. There were places where Paul wrote letters to, and the letters were written because they, he had heard some bad reports. He said, It is reported to me commonly that there is fornication among you. And he was talking about the church in Corinth. So that was another church. The kind of the reason why he wrote those letters were different. This one. There was virtually, you can go through this letter, you won't see a single problem church Paul had with the church. They gave him peace. Not a single one. The only thing you hear him talk about was a warning against false preachers who may come around. That's about all. But everything they did was perfect. I pray that ELC will become that kind of church. And I pray that you become that kind of Christian. Can somebody give me a believing amen? Amen. Paul wrote this letter. In fact, they call it a thank you letter because he wrote it to thank them. He was in prison. Amen. Now, he had such an affection for them, deep affection, deep devotion to the church. And he actually used them. You see, when you meet somebody and the person is good, you like to talk about him. Is that not what you do? Paul used to talk about the church of Philippi to many other churches. In fact, the churches of Macedonia, predominantly first and foremost of the church, sometimes the way he talks about the church of Philippi, it, it, it looks as if, even when he's talking about the churches of Macedonia, Philippi was always predominant. It was a leading church there because they were committed different. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. I just want you to appreciate the uncommonness of this church. He says, Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. And the churches of Macedonia is talking about the church of Philippi. He's talking about the church of Thessalonica. And he's talking about the church of Berea. Now, he says, we want to tell you about the grace. That there is some unique grace upon them. May a unique grace come upon us as a church. He said, we want you to tell you about it for even doing a season of severe difficulty, tremendous suffering, and extreme poverty, their superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. Can you see that? That's the church. These were people who were not tightened out of convenience. They didn't give because they had more than enough. Even when they were in lack and want, abject poverty, the Bible said they gave over and above. That was a unique church. 
But before we get carried away by this unique church, we need to see where this church began. Amen? Yeah, the letter was written to the church. And so, where the church was born must be first studied. That's where we want to look at. Because if the church had not been born, or if the church had not been planted, the letter would not have been written. The reason why we have the letter to the church of Ephesus, because there was a church in Ephesus. The reason why we have the church of Corinth, because there was a church in Corinth. And the reason why we have the church of Phil the letter to the Philippians is because there was a church in Philippi. How did this church come into existence? This church was planted by Apostle Paul during his second missionary journey around AD 51, 50 or 51. Paul had three missionary journeys. If you read the book of Acts, there was the first one from Acts chapter 13 all the way to about 15. And then the second one began from uh, Acts 16 from here where we are going to be reading. And then the third one is from somewhere at uh, Acts chapter 18, 17, 18, where he gets, uh, yeah, chapter 18 to uh, 20. That's where we have the third missionary journey. Now, Paul is moving and is moving with the gospel. And I pray that when you travel, you will travel with the gospel. Amen. I said, when you travel, may you travel with the gospel. People travel for different reasons. Apostle Paul and his friend were traveling, and the objective for traveling is so the gospel could travel far. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and the uttermost part of the earth. How can you go and be a witness of Christ in the uttermost part of the earth? You have to go there. And I pray that God will give you an opportunity to travel with the gospel. Shout a believing amen. amen. Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 40. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Most of the time, we preach the gospel to people, we share, invite to people, and we don't go back to them again. We reach out, we go do outreaches, and we invite people to death, and we don't follow up on them again. Sometimes we don't call them, and we expect that in some way, somehow, uh, osmotically, they will just appear in church. It doesn't work like that. Paul went there to preach, and then he went back to check up on them to see whether the seed he planted was doing well or not. Now go to verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should, they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Also Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So, a missionary team that began as Paul, Barnabas, uh, John Mark was separated. Amen? And sometimes when these separations come, sometimes people don't understand. But God always has a greater purpose. Under this circumstance, they, they didn't see eye to eye with on John Mark. John Mark had abandoned them when they needed him to play a certain role. At that time, for whatever reason, he wasn't living up to expectation. And Paul was not ready. Paul was task-oriented. Barnabas was a very relational person. His name is called Barnabas, the son of consolation. He's an encourager. So even if somebody is down and weak, Barnabas will pick you up and help you. But Paul, when you have been polished and you have been helped, he will use you. Because Paul was that, that forthright. He wanted to get the job done. I'm going to plant a church. I want people who can help me plant the church. Not people who go and sleep on me. So if that is your attitude, John Mark, stay somewhere. So he left, went one way, and then they departed. Now let's come to Acts chapter 16. So you, I just want you to pick the, the numbers as we go on. So Paul and Silas parts company. Where we read Paul and Silas, uh, Paul and Barnabas parts company. Paul and Silas on one hand, Barnabas and John Mark on the other hand. Now let's go to uh, 16. In 16, we are going to see Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Now it's believed that Timothy was at this time around 15 years when Paul picked him. Yeah, 15 year old man on a mission. 
By the time Paul cited Timothy to uh, put him at the place of, uh, uh, at, when he planted him at Ephesus to take care of the church of Ephesus, he was just about 30 years or so. And so those of you who are young here, you have to be catch fire. Turn to your neighbor and say catch fire. Catch fire. Yeah, catch fire. Catch fire. You realize that anybody who would do something great in life, usually they do it very early. They do it very, very early. Very, very early. You look at all these uh, 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 tech, tech guys, uh, technology guys, Max Zuckerberg, all of those guys. Very, very young people. And they are doing great exploits. If we are going to do great exploits for the Lord, we have to start it early. You remember when Paul wrote to Timothy, he told him, let no man despise our youth. Because when you are young, you have a lot of energy. And that energy needs to be directed. It needs to be used in mass minds. In the book of, uh, I think, uh, Ecclesiastes, it says, Remember now thy creator in the days of what? Of thy youth. The best time to serve God, the best time to give your energy to God is when you are young. And I pray that every young person here will burn with fresh zeal and fire for the Lord. Amen. Shout a better amen. amen. If you are going to do something, don't wait until you are old. Most of the time, people want to do all things and finish. And then when they have some time, they bring it to come and serve God. Sometimes when you come that late, you, are, you, you will not be of much usefulness to God. Because in, even in the Old Testament, it says, if you are going to enter into service, you should start it where? 25. And by 50, you should be retiring. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That's how they, they, they were using a lot of young people because that is what God needs to push the gospel. Most of the Europeans who came here with the gospel, they came very young. They came very young. They died here. They were raised here. They died here. I pray that you would catch fire for the Lord. Amen. Shout a better amen. amen. What I'm sharing, there isn't much application to do today. So it's all of this, just these simple, simple things that you may pick something home. It's because I'm going to read raw history to you. Amen. Okay, so the Bible says they came to Debbie. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. In other words, he was a person of character. He had an excellent character. He had a, a good testimony in the place. Verse 3. He says, Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. And I also like the way Paul constituted his uh, ministry team. You see, Paul had people who were young with him. He was always training somebody. John Mark, if John Mark has failed and he won't join us, somebody else must fail it. Do you get what I'm talking about? You have to always be on the lookout for who to disciple. When you are a leader and where you are not there, things cannot work. It shows that you are not a good leader. Train people. Not everybody is trainable, but as many people as are trainable, train them. Paul carried them along with him. He said in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Alright, so that's it. So if you are following what I'm reading, we started with who is joining Paul and Silas now? Timothy. Timothy has just joined them. So they parted company. Timothy, uh, Paul and Silas on one hand, and now Timothy joins. Another person is also going to join. Let's look at it in Luke chapter 16. Luke 16 verse 6 to 10. Next, because this book is a historical account, so he's just given us details one after the other. What happened? Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galicia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. At the time, they wanted to go to uh, uh, Ephesus. God said, time is not up. Then coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north for the province of Bethania. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Verse 8. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of... Can you imagine? These were people who were very committed to preaching the gospel. Even if, if one door closes, another door must open. I pray that you will be on fire for the Lord like that. Sometimes when you are working with some team, that's they, when you are working and you have this kind of mindset, somebody like John Mark will be a distraction because the moment we go here, you, you understand why possibly John Mark was set aside. We go here, this door closes, another door must open. 
You see, you cannot be a church planter if you are, you are somebody who gives up easily. Because we look at some of the challenges they were confronted with when they came to uh, uh, Philippa. When they got to Philippa and they started preaching, it was not easy for them. In fact, in Paul's own words to the church of Thessalonica, he said in Philippa he was badly treated. He went, suffered a lot of things, all in Philippa. And later on, he will tell them, when in his letter to the church of Philippi, he told them that you also need to suffer for the gospel in the same way. Why? Because that was how you came into existence. When you don't understand the history of a thing, sometimes you don't know how to value whatever has been handed over to you. So Paul could tell them that, listen, you, your church came because I was in prison, I was beaten unlawfully. And now you cannot be comfortable. Sometimes when people come to uh, join a, an organization at a certain phase of the organization, all they think about is pleasure. They don't think about sacrifice. They don't think about what difference can I make in order to advance the cause. Paul needed to remind them. So he, in, in the letter, he told them that be, be ready to suffer just like I've also suffered. Now let's go on. Verse, so we see verse 9. That night... So three places, they wanted to go to two other places, they were denied. Now, in the night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Alright? Now, Macedonia was a Roman province within which was Philippa. Okay? So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. When he saw the vision, somewhere, somehow, he knew that God wanted them to go there. And then the Bible says they proceeded there. Now, so, but I want you to take note of, of something. From verse 6 to 9, Luke is describing it in the third uh, person pronoun. So he says, they, look at verse 8. Verse 8, next, Paul and Silas traveled. So he wasn't part of them. Paul and Silas traveled from verse 6. Paul and Silas traveled because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word there. Then coming to the borders, they, can you see that? Verse 7. Coming to the borders, they, all right, come to verse 8. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. They, it means that he wasn't part. But come to verse 9. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him. Come over to help uh, to Macedonia and help us. Look at verse 10. The difference you see in verse 10 is so we decided to leave for Macedonia. At this time in Troas, Luke had joined the team. So Paul's missionary team is now complete and they are about to proceed to Philippi. So let's look at verse 11. And verse 11, we are told in verse 11, we boarded a boat. So from here, you see that. He will be using we, we, until somewhere in Acts chapter 20, where he goes back. Because in Acts chapter 20, he will be left, when they are done with their mission in Philippi, Luke will be left in Philippi to continue, and then they, they will proceed to another place. And later on, he joins them again. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed across to the island of Somatris. And the next day, we landed at where? Neapolis. Where did they land? They landed at Neapolis. From there we reached where? From there we reached? From there we reached? A major city of that district of Macedonia. And a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. Amen? Amen. These things are important. The city is important. There are places where you start things. Sometimes it may not work. Amen? So they came to Philippi, and this is where they started the work. So they came into the city of Philippi. The title of my teaching is The Birth of the Uncommon Church. And that is how this church, this is not comprehensive, but this is just an introductory. So they came to Philippi. So once they entered Philippi, the work is about to start. This is how I'm going to run this teaching. One, we are going to look at the city of Philippi. The city itself. That's where it came, they came to. Then we'll look at the cornerstone upon which the church was built. And the church is expected to be built. And then we will look at the channels 
or the vessels God used to start the church. Next week, we'll look at the challenges the missionary team faced. We'll look at the converts that were made in Philippi. And then we'll look at the core group of believers who came together to start the church. And then we will zero in and look briefly at the church itself. First of all is the city. Somebody say the city. So we are looking at the city. The Bible says somebody, a man of Macedonia, said, come and help us. So they took it and they, went, they, 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 they sailed and they got to the city of Philippi. Let's just walk you through a brief history of the city of Philippi. Okay. Philippi was founded around the 4th century BC. While the prophets were writing, that was when the city of Philippi was founded. The city of Philippi was located in ancient Greece on the eastern border of the Roman province of Macedonia. Now, when you go there now, you, it's, it's an archaeological site. It's not a site that have human habitation, but it is a site that is a rare site. When you go there, you, you see. That was Philippi. So Philippi was about eight miles, ten miles away from the seaport. The nearest seaport to Philippi was Neapolis. That's where they got to. So when they got to Neapolis, they disembarked from the ship and then they went on land to Philippi, just about 10 miles away. Philippi was very, very important. It was an important city in the Roman district of Macedonia. And it was so for a number of reasons. One was that it was strategically located. Somebody says strategically located. Yeah, strategically located. Because if something happened in Philippi, because a lot of people, a lot of traffic was going there, it, it mattered. Philippi sat on a fertile plain through which the Via Ignatia, a trade highway that linked the Aegean and the Adriatic seas. So the land on which Philippi was, was fertile and there was also a very important road. Very, very important road. A highway that was used for commercial activities was there. It was a highway that was connecting the western part of Rome to the eastern part of Rome. And everybody who wanted to go to Rome, in one way or the other, had to pass through Philippi. So Philippi was that significant. Philippi was also significant, not just because it was well located. It also had abundance of water or uh, springs and gold. Gold. It had a lot of gold mines around its mountains. There were a lot of gold mines there. I know that those of you who did Shakespeare, you know about Alexander, you've read a bit about him and all of those things. Now, Philip II, who happened to be the Philip II of Macedonia, who happened to be the father of Alexander the Great, annexed the region of Philippi and renamed it because of the gold that is there. He just uh, annexed it with military power and then he renamed it after himself. He called Philippi the city of Philip. That's why it became Philippi. Now, this city was also very important, again, because it is said that there was a medical school there, which was very, very renowned, a very prominent medical school. Some people believe, some theologians, not all scholars, a few of them are read, believe that that was a place where uh, Dr. Luke was trained. That is all has to do with Philippi. Somebody say Philippi. Now, how does Philippi sit? At the time Jesus was born, the people were reigning at the time with the Romans. So, Philippi in the era of the Romans. Let's look at that. Philippi was conquered by the Romans. And they also took it away from uh, uh, Philip II around 168 BC. When they came over, the Roman dynasty was abolished. And then they decided to divide it into several Roman provinces, four districts, like we, we read earlier. Philippi was the site of one of the most important and crucial battles in Roman history. This is history. What I'm telling you is history. But you need to appreciate history because the Bible is also historical. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think that it's just a, a spirit, spirit thing. But the Bible is a historical book. It has details. Palestine is there. Canaan is there. All of those places are there. The things we read in the Bible, they are not abstract. And young people need to appreciate that. That's why the Bible can be trusted. 
It's been tested. The Bible said it's been purified seven times. God's word is true. It was the site of one of the most crucial battles in Roman history. Now, this battle was between Brutus and Cassius on one hand, and then Octavian and Antony on another hand. When uh, Cassius and Brutus came together to fight against Alexander, uh, Julius Caesar, and then they assassinated Julius Caesar. And then Octavian and Antony decided to fight back and defend or avenge Julius Caesar's death. So that was where the battle of Philippi took. That was the battle of Philippi. That was the battle where those two forces fought each other. And then Octavian and Mark Antony won. When they won, later on, having joined alliance to fight against Cassius and Brutus and defeated them, Octavian and Antony also fought. And then uh, Octavian defeated, uh, what do you call it, Antony. And then he was declared the emperor of Rome. That is how. That, that, until that time, Roman was, uh, Rome was a republic. But after the war, the Senate, the Roman Senate decided that no war. They are going to, once uh, Octavian has won and has conquered, he should be made the emperor. So he was uh, voted in as the emperor of Rome. And from that moment onwards, the Roman Empire began to uh, pursue its uh, agenda to conquer. Octavian settled several of Antony's disbanded troops in Philippi. Now, after they defeated Brutus and Cassius, both of them decided to make Philippi a colony, a Roman colony where the, their veterans were going to be resettled or relocated to so that they would, they, they would protect Roman interests. And because of the strategic place, if anything was coming to Rome, you literally have to pass uh, uh, Philippi. So if they were there, it was like uh, the, 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 the eye of Rome away from Rome. So they would spot whatever is happening, give information to Rome, and then you can't spring a surprise attack on them. That was how strategic Philippi was. Now let's look at Philippi as a Roman colony because when we're reading Acts chapter 16 verse 20, you heard Acts 16 20. Look at that. From there we read where? Let's read it. From there we read where? Huh. A major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Okay, so I've established to you how this thing they made it a Roman colony. Now, Philippa was a Roman colony. How special was a Roman colony? One, if Rome, Philippa as a Roman colony was almost like a mini Rome. The architecture, the way they, they a manner of life. You know, the reason why we wear these things is because British people came to colonize us. Yeah, that is part of a, a British legacy. Now it's very cold in Britain, so these things are useful. But if you wear this here in the hot weather, it is not a pleasant thing. Uh -huh. So uh, when you are colonized, it comes with influences. We drink tea because British influence. And that was more like that. So uh, Philippa as a Roman colony was treated virtually the same way. The laws that governed uh, uh, Philippa were laws that were governing Rome. The constitution of Philippa was patterned after the constitution of Rome. So they saw themselves and they were proud actually. You would be proud actually to be associated with Rome at the time because it's a superpower of a day. And that was Philippa. So Philippa was a Roman colony. And as a Roman colony, like I told you, all of these things were happening. They had the same legal status as people who were cities in Italy. The constitution was modeled and then they, they had magistrates like they had in Rome. And so we see that in Acts chapter 16, verse 19 to 22. Look at that, Acts 16, 19 to 22. When the master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and did what? Dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Okay? Now, who were the authorities there? They brought them to the magistrate because that's what was happening in Rome. That's what they had. The same governance system, the same governance structure. And said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being, Roman. being. Roman. So the people in Philippi saw themselves as what? Romans. To receive or observe. 
Then the multitude rose up to, together against them, and the magistrate tore up their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Very soon they will see. <laughs> when you beat the person you are not supposed to beat, you will face what you are not supposed to face. Okay? So they were a colony and they were Roman citizens. When you are reading Philippians, when you come to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul was speaking to them. He said that our citizenship is from heaven. Can you see that? Our citizenship is where? When he tells them, the people in Philippi, that your citizen, when they are reading the letter, and he's in, the, in the letter he says, your citizenship is in heaven, he's helping them, they understand citizenship. Why? Because these are people who are away from Rome, but they see themselves as Roman citizens. And so they understood it perfectly. That was what Paul was talking about. And they were proud to be Roman citizens. So Paul was telling them, listen, in as much as you take pride in being Roman citizens, you have to understand that there's a superior citizenship that you belong to, and that citizenship is in heaven. Are you here with me? So that's what we are talking about. And the citizenship benefit we are going to be seeing very soon. Look at Acts of the 16, verse 35 to 40. When it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those man, men go. Okay, so they had beaten them. They had put them in prison. And now, day has broken and... Uh, a lot of things have happened which we couldn't read because of time. They are about to be released. So the magistrate sends them out and says, go and release the people. So the keeper of the prison, who at this time is a born-again believer, reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. Now, let's listen to what Paul tells him. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us, what? Oh, read with me. They have beaten us uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison and now do they put us out secretly? No, is, no indeed. Let them come themselves and get us. You can see that they were smelling trouble by this time. When this report got back to the magistrates, they were troubled because they have beaten people who were not supposed to be beaten. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens and as Roman citizens, you couldn't treat them anyhow. So, the Bible says, they said, come and get us. Now, let's look at verse 38. The officers changed their language. The officers told these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Verse 39. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Can you imagine how things have changed? <laughs> these were people they disgraced they beat them on the street now they have gotten to know their identity and everything is changing listen that is the same way you are your attitude towards satan will change if you get to know who you are when you know who you are when you come to a place where you know who you are in christ that in christ you are more than a conqueror you will not fear anything that satan brings your way when you come to appreciate who you are these guys being roman citizens were enjoying certain benefits says you can beat us if you are beating us and if disgrace us we want you to know roman citizens we are going nowhere so they came and they pleaded with them so they went out of the prison and entered the house of lydia i can't wait to talk about lydia and when they had seen the brethren they encouraged them and departed they entered into the house of lydia may the ladies in this house be owners of houses Amen. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. May you prosper as a woman to the extent that you have houses. You have property. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Here are a few benefits a Roman citizen was entitled to. A Roman citizen had legal rights and could benefit from Roman legal system. That was among many things. Roman citizens had legal rights and could benefit from Roman legal system. That's one. They also had the right to fair trial. That's why Paul was saying that we are Romans and you didn't even try us. You just beat us. Because as a Roman citizen, they were entitled to fair trial and judgment. And then Roman citizens were also protected from certain punishments, certain forms of punishment. Roman citizens also had access to Roman courts. And they were also exempted from paying some taxes and were not subject to the authority of the provincial governor. Amen. So, obviously, when all you are not paying some amount of taxes, 
you'll be happy. We are debating about these extra taxes they are bringing. I don't know. Sometimes our leaders, when they run out of ideas, they think tax. It's some way. When they run out of ideas, they just think tax. One money you are given at the end of a month, they will tax you ah, from the time the money is given you. When you are buying food, you are tax. What kind of life is that? So if you're a Roman citizen, you are void of tax. Some taxes you were not going to pay. Of course, you will make some, you were going to pay some tax, but some taxes you were exempted from it. And this made them special. So they saw themselves as special people as Roman citizens. And Paul told the church in Philippa, he says, if you think that as Roman citizens, or Roman citizenship is a big deal, it is much a bigger deal to be a citizen of heaven. Okay. Now that is the city of Philippa. Now let's look at the cornerstone. Somebody see the cornerstone. cornerstone. Yeah. We are looking at the principal factor. When I talk about cornerstone, I'm looking at the principal factor that influenced the formation of the church. Some, someone who played a very important role in giving birth, growing and nurturing the church. And that person in none other but the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides the church, builds the church, appoints leaders for the church. When they were going to Philippi, it was the Holy Spirit that guided them. When they got to Philippi, it was a gift of the Spirit at work in the man Paul that brought about deliverance to the woman, the slave girl who got born again. Paul and his friend were subsequently arrested and were jailed in the prison. It was the Holy Spirit that filled them with joy. In the prison, they were joyful. They were singing and uh, praising God in the prison. What was it they were expressing? It was a joy of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit played a vital role. When they came to the beast side and they met Lydia and the other women, who opened the heart of the women to receive Paul and his team? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit played a very vital role. What I want us to appreciate from here is that if you are going to work for God, we have to work with the Spirit. Somebody say, if you are going to work for God, we have to learn to work with the Spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you are going to build a church, we are going to establish churches and do all, we need to work engage the Holy Spirit in prayer. You cannot build a strong church without a foundation of prayer. You can't grow a strong church without continuing in prayer. The Bible says watch in prayer. Pray always. Watch always. Praying always and watching thereunto with all thanksgiving. So the Holy Spirit is pivotal. Somebody say Holy Spirit. Spirit. Plays a central role in the birth establishment and growth of a church. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church. The Holy Spirit guided the leaders of a church. The Holy Spirit grew the church. This is your own role. It was not just the Holy Spirit that gave birth to the church. The Holy Spirit worked with people. And so we are looking at the channel the Holy Spirit used. The channel God used. We looked at the city. We've looked at the, the, the cornerstone who was the Holy Spirit and we are looking at the channel and this is where you and I come in we have a contribution to make we have a partnership to make there is so much God wants to do there are souls God wants to save this year there are people who must be added to this church this year they will not come except you and I come into agreement and we actively go out and reach out to those souls are you following what I'm thinking? that's what happens the church came into existence because Paul Silas, Timothy, and Luke went. They traveled all the way to a strange land, a place they didn't know anybody. They went there. The command had already been issued. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. It was in obedience to that command. The Bible says you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses. That's what they were following. They became partners with Christ in pursuing the agenda of the kingdom. You have to understand that it was St. Augustine. This is what St. Augustine said. He said, without God, we cannot. And without us, God will not. Can somebody say, without God, I cannot. And without me, God will not. Yeah. It means that you play a role. This work, without God, we can't build it. And without us, God cannot build it too. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything we are going to, that's how it works. God always works in partnership with people. If you go through the history of scripture, consistently, 
If God wants to form a nation Israel, he has to find a man, Abraham. If God wants to bring a nation in captivity out of the bondage of Egypt, he has to find a man in the name of Moses. Anytime, if God wants an apostle who will reach the Gentiles, he has to locate a man by the name of Paul. If God is looking for a king who will be a man after his own heart and lead his people, he needs to find a man like that in David. I pray that 2024, God will find a man he can use in you. May God find a woman he can use in you. That you will not just be available, but you become a partner. The Bible says we are partners together with God. 2024, may you be a partner with God. The church of Philippi came into existence because the Holy Spirit was ready to build the church. But the church came into manifestation because human beings in the form of Paul, in the form of Luke, in the form of Silas, team up. And they went to a place and they said, come what may, no matter the challenges we face, we are going to see that this work gets done. They went to the city, they got through a lot of challenges, but through it all, a church was born. May I tell you this morning that this was how the gospel of Christ Jesus entered Europe for the first time. It was through this trip. It was this through this trip. Church of Philippa is the first church to be planted in Europe. And the people who formed that church must be the first convert in Europe. And last week, we are going to continue from here. I pray that this year, you will make a quality decision to make a difference for the Lord. May you make a difference for the Lord. We are reading about people who gave their time, their energy, their resources to do something unique. And by the way, this is how Europe connects to us. We are saved because the gospel went to Europe. The church went to Europe through this trip and then we are also saved today because the Europeans came here. Who will be saved because you go somewhere with the gospel? This week, in your office, will you go with the gospel? Can you get somebody say, before you even step at an American embassy for visa, would you get, the, would you get somebody saved? Can you get somebody to hear the gospel where you work? The place where you live, can you become a channel through which God will touch others and save others? I pray that this year, your life will matter to God. Your life will make a difference for the Lord. If you want to accept Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, you want to say this prayer after me. Mean every word and then believe it in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart that you died and rose again for me. By my belief, I am justified. And by my confession, I am saved. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. If you pray that prayer in faith, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God bless you. We look forward to having you join us again and again. We are blessed. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. <laughs>